0: Some of us have never read the letter of Second Peter, and we've been going through that the last few weeks. And so this morning, as you turn to Second Peter chapter 2, we'll be in his word. Peter has been reminding us that the Lord's magnificent promises, his precious promises, are true, and that trusting in these promises will impact how we live. Peter has been speaking about false teachers in this letter chapter 2, Peter says, false prophets also appeared among the people and many will follow their indecent behavior and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And and Peter continues about these false teachers. He he says that they're reckless. This is verse 10. He says they're reckless, they're self-centered, they speak abusively of angelic majesties without trembling, talking about the things of heaven with, with no regard, no hint of respect or awe. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a demeaning judgment against these false teachers before the Lord, but these teachers, like unreasoning animals, they're born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed using abusive speech where they have no knowledge. Well, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed? Suffering wrong is the wages of doing wrong. They they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they feast with you. Strange language. These teachers, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, they entice unstable souls, having hearts trained in greed. Accursed children. Peter says they've abandoned the right way. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. Who loved the reward of unrighteousness who, who is Balaam Well, we're gonna find out Balaam it says here received rebuke for his own offense for a mute donkey speaking with a human voice restrained the insanity of the prophet strange language some of us maybe have never read this letter of second Peter but but these these false teachers listen to how these jokers act I mean, we've just read and, and heard the above. They, they act like spoiled children. What does spoil mean? Well, merriam says it like this. spoil means to damage, seriously, to ruin. If someone is spoiled, if something is spoiled, the character is impaired usually by overindulgence. And we've all seen spoiled, haven't we? We've all seen spoiled... And and truth be told, there have been times along the road of life where we showed a similar behavior. But hopefully that was way early in life when that was the case. But regardless of our age, we can relate to wanting what we want when we want it, and we won't be told otherwise. Let me say that one more time. We all know what it's like. To want what we want, when we want it, and we won't be told otherwise. Showing signs of spoil. Peter says, because how these teachers have indulged the flesh and its corrupt passion and how they despise authority, they are reckless, they're self-centered, they speak abusively of angelic majesties without trembling. They're reckless, they're bold, they're, they're brazen, they're, they're daring, not as in dashing, but daring to not watch the mouth. They're self-centered, they're arrogant, they're self-willed, they speak abusively, they, they blaspheme. They blaspheme about the things of heaven, angelic majesties. They don't tremble when talking about the things of God. There's no respect. They should fear and they don't. You know, careless language... Often gets one in trouble, doesn't it? Showing signs of spoil. What about us? Do we ever have to mind our mouths? Peter says, whereas angels who are greater in might and power, they do not bring a demeaning judgment against these teachers before the Lord. This justice, these angels don't bring it. These angels are greater in might. They're, they're greater in power. These angels really are greater in character, aren't they? Seeing signs of spoil here. Uh, what about us? What about our character? Peter says, But these teachers unlike, are like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed using abusive speech where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. These false teachers, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct. What kind of animal is usually captured and killed? Wild animals? Rabid animals? children were very small one one Saturday morning we looked out our front window and we saw a rabid skunk it was shuffling and sauntering and it looked almost like a zombie out of a movie it looked just kind of weird and unsettled and and you could tell something was wrong and so we called animal control and they came and took care of it we've probably all seen a rabid raccoon or a rabid animal something is not right Something is off. And, and, and what happens? They, they have to be put down, don't they? Peter is highlighting these false teachers, and we're seeing signs of spoil, aren't we? Uh, well, we wouldn't spread rabies, but what about us? <laughs> we're not going to spread that kind of stuff. But, but, you know, might there be other things that we spread? For instance, uh, in the Old Testament... When Moses and the Israelites are in the wilderness and Moses is leading them to the promised land, they start to grumble. The language used in the Exodus is murmuring. They grumble or they murmur. We maybe have all done the same thing. We we grumble to one or we murmur to another. And we really should watch the kinds of things which we spread. These false teachers—they use abusive speech where they have no knowledge. We—we we had conversations. We, we've had conversations with our children the entire way along in school, and about the folks with whom they go to school who use limited vocabulary. And you probably know the kind of vocabulary of of which I speak—words with with four letters usually. <laughs> They're one syllable. And ministerially speaking, those words really show ignorance. So as Peter is talking about all of this, you know, we look at this and we may ask the question, well, maybe I'm not a false teacher, but how does this apply to me? Well, well what about all this speaking on a subject when we don't know all the facts? When we make assumptions and then murmur, to our little group. That's what spoiled children do, right? We, we should be silent and not give an opinion when we don't know all the facts. And, and as a father, I have been guilty of this regarding my children. I'll launch into a conversation where I've only heard half of it, or I only know half the details, and I'm ready to launch in, and I do launch in, and I give my opinion, but I don't know the full story. I've done that. Peter says in the same way that these creatures are destroyed, so will will these false teachers go. They're going to be put down. And these false ones, in verse 13... They, they suffer wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They, they count it up a, a pleasure to, to revel in the daytime. Their stains and their blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they feast with you. These false teachers, they suffer wrong as the wages of doing wrong. And actions have consequences. You know, they're reaping what they're sowing, but you know what? They really don't care. They, they, don't, they can't pass the blame, and they don't pass the blame. They count it a, a pleasure to revel in the daytime when all the world can see, and all the world can't help but see. You know, they, it's on display, loud and proud. And these teachers, they, they seem to enjoy wallowing in the consequences. They're, they're showing signs of spoil. So what about us? I read this, and I'm reminded that we we should watch our bragging rights. Let me explain. Years ago, decades ago, I knew a man who had come to know the Lord at some point in his life, a few years before I met him. He's a, a great guy. Shared a lot of laughs. He, again, a great help to me, a, a friend to me. But his conversation always seemed to drift back to how his life was before he met Jesus. You've probably heard people do that. How, how wide a path they, they cut in the road, <laughs> you know, how they carried on and did this or that or the other, or did all of it at one time. <laughs> And They never brought it back to Jesus, well, thank God I'm saved, but they 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 hung out back then, and so I see this scripture and I'm thinking about how maybe we need to watch our bragging rights we We should take care in how we parade around our past, and these ones they are stains and blemishes, Peter says and we're not talking scratch and dent sale, (laughs) stains and blemishes, when it applies to teachers and prophets, when it applies to the body of Christ. Stains and blemishes, they don't fit the profile. Paul, in in his letter to Ephesus, he wrote the following, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her he might set her aside for for the purpose for the purpose of of the things of god so that that he christ might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and blameless you see so often i think there's a disconnect jesus is the one who does the saving but we have a part to play in how we live and our obedience because jesus is the one who washes us wider than snow that great hymn nothing but the blood that classic hymn we sing what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of jesus but if we are saved and he has done the washing then we have a responsibility to reflect that back to him, to show the world and to point the world to the one who has done the washing in our lives. Peter says these ones revel in deceptions as they feast with you. And when it comes to feasting, I mean, we could go to these buffets, like the China buffet, and where you go and you have all you want. But but Peter's talking about the kinds of feasts where there is there's an intimate spirit of fellowship. And and as they feast with you, and, and Peter's talking about these friends, quote unquote. See, these quote unquote friends are the ones who feast, don't they? And and they may seem friendly while shooting you and me with unfriendly fire. It's a sign of spoil. For instance, feasts usually incorporate silverware, don't they? Forks and spoons and knives. And so often with these feasts, we have to watch out for knives, knives in the back. And you know something about silverware if it falls off the table if a knife should fall off the table you want to make sure to not pick that knife up and you know what i'm talking about we we have to take care with how we are in feasts how How are we seen as friends, quote-unquote? We we should value integrity in our speech and in our company, shouldn't we? Peter says in verse 14 that these teachers, having eyes full of adultery, that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having hearts trained in greed, accursed children, these teachers, these eyes full of adultery... Well, how does the eye sin? Well, it's what I call the second look. It's one thing to see someone attractive walk by you. But it's when that one passes by you and you turn, you're tempted to turn and scan the whole profile to watch the full picture. And it's that second look which sometimes lingers, and that's the one that often leads to problems down the road because what it does, it reveals character. We should watch taking that second look. These teachers, they, they entice unstable souls. These souls who waver, they're insecure in themselves. They may suffer from a lack of confidence. They're easy marks for those who would take advantage. These adulterous teachers, they, they entice, they bait the hook. They, they, but they're more than simply fishermen using bait. They're predators, and they prey on the weak. And, and these have hearts who are trained in greed. Well, how does one train in greed? Well, what did we say early on? We want what we want when we want it, and we won't be told otherwise. And if we have a habit, if we make that a habit of always wanting what we want, and, and we want it when we want it, and we won't be told otherwise, and that's how we live, that's how we train in greed. And these false teachers, Peter says, are children of the curse. They show signs of spoil. In verse 15, these false teachers are abandoning the right way. They've gone astray, and they followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the reward of unrighteousness. Strange story. But Balaam received a rebuke for his own offense for a mute donkey speaking with a human voice restrain the insanity of the prophet. These teachers, they've abandoned the right way, they've gone astray, and they followed the way of this man named Balaam. Who in the world is Balaam? Let me quickly tell you the story of Balaam from Numbers chapter 22. Israel was camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan opposite Jericho, and Balak is the king of Moab. The king of Moab sees the Israelites, the entire nation, and he's nervous. Enemy kingdom on my territory. And so he sends messengers to a prophet named Balaam, saying, Behold, Israel is living opposite me. Please curse these people. They're too mighty for me. We know them by reputation. Perhaps I will be able to drive them out of the land, for I know, Balaam, I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Balaam has some influence, and the king of Moab wants to use that. And so Balaam replies, and this is all done through Messenger, not Facebook Messenger, but Messenger. Balaam replies, I will bring word back to you just as the Lord may speak to me. And so God comes to Balaam and says, who are these men with you? And Balaam says, Balak, the king of Moab, sent word to me wanting me to curse Israel. But God said, don't go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. So Balaam says to the messengers, go back for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. They go back to the king. The king sends others back. They're more numerous. They're more distinguished. They're higher up the muckety-muck level. You know, the dignitaries, they come to Balaam and they say, this is what the king says, I beg you, let nothing keep you from coming to me. I will indeed honor you richly and I will do whatever you tell me. Please come then and curse these people. Balaam replies, if the king, even if the king were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything, either small or great, contrary to command, to the command of the Lord my God. God comes to Balaam at night and says, if the men have come, rise and go with them. This is different. But you shall do only the thing that I tell you. Balaam wakes up, he arises in the morning, he saddles his donkey, and he goes with the men. Evidently, Balaam had some other things on his mind. Besides being obedient to to the Lord, this is what happens. Um... And I don't, We don't know what it is. It's probably the temptation, the lure of, of riches and honor from the king of Moab. The text doesn't tell us. But all we see is this. In Numbers chapter 22, verse 22, you know, God has told Balaam to go. Well, now God is angry that he's going. Something has happened. And the angel of the Lord takes his stand on the road in front of Balaam. Balaam is riding on the donkey, his donkey. The donkey sees the angel standing in the road with his sword drawn. The donkey turns off the road and goes down into a field. Balaam strikes the donkey to guide her back onto the road. Well, then the angel stands in a narrow path of the vineyards with a stone wall on one side and a stone wall on the other, And the donkey sees the angel and she presses herself against the wall and presses Balaam's foot against the wall and Balaam strikes the donkey again the angel goes further stands in a narrow place there's no way to turn right there's no way to turn left the donkey sees the angel she lies down under Balaam Balaam is he's mad he strikes the donkey with his staff and if you think that's strange listen to what happens next the Lord opens the mouth of the donkey and the donkey says to Balaam what have I done to you that you've struck me these three times And evidently, this has not hit Balaam yet how strange this is, a donkey speaking. Balaam continues the conversation. (laughs) He says to the donkey, it's because you've made a mockery of me. If only there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you. And the donkey says to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you've ridden all your life to this day? You know me. Have I ever been in the habit of doing such a thing to you? Balaam says, no. Then the Lord opens Balaam's eyes, and he sees the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn. And Balaam bows all the way to the ground. What would we do? Hopefully the same. The angel says to Balaam, why have you struck your donkey? Behold, I've come out as an adversary because your way was reckless and contrary to me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times, and if she hadn't turned away, I would have killed you and I would have let her live. Balaam replies to the angel, I've sinned. Wow, I was wrong. I did not know that you were standing in the way. Now then, if it it is displeasing to you. And see, these angels are messengers of the Lord. So it's God speaking through this angel. Balaam says, if it's displeasing to you, I will turn back. And the angel says to Balaam, go with the men, but you shall speak only the word that I tell you. And that's what Balaam did. Peter says that Balaam loved the reward of unrighteousness. He, he received a rebuke, a reprimand for his own offense because this mute donkey, which spoke with a human voice, restrained the insanity of the prophet. Well, all this is kind of weird. So what? Well, here's the thing about Balaam. As we've heard, Balaam's plan was to speak the word of God to the king of Moab. And evidently, something, perhaps the temptation of of what the king of Moab offered, stuck in Balaam's mind. We don't know. The text doesn't specify. But something became a problem. And when the messengers, they return a second time and they say, this is what the king says, let nothing keep you from coming to me. I will honor you richly and I will do whatever you tell me. Maybe like what we just saw in verse 14 when Peter mentions the eyes full of adultery. Whatever it was, something became a problem for Balaam. And Peter says in verse 15 that Balaam loved the reward of unrighteousness. And so even as he went with the servants, with every step of the donkey, perhaps Balaam descended in the thoughts of foolhardiness, madness, insanity, what Peter says, when one's thoughts are in direct opposition to what the Lord has made so very, very clear off the path and, and out of mind, often go hand in hand. This is a reminder. <laughs> when we read a letter like this, Peter didn't write this letter to a league of supervillains. He didn't write this to a, to a league of supervillains. He wrote this to the church. Peter wrote this letter to ones who have professed to be Christ followers. And in this section, Peter is addressing the problem of these false teachers, their behavior, their influence. And these teachers at one time must have been focused on the things of the Lord. But we don't know. Like Balaam, something became a problem. And we've seen in many ways how they've turned from the things of God and now they're wreaking havoc in the church. They're, they're showing signs of spoil. They've abandoned the right way, they, they've gone astray, and they followed Balaam's example toward these rewards of unrighteousness. Balaam experienced a miraculous save, did he not? <laughs> And and we don't know if these teachers in this letter ever repented, ever turned back. And and we don't know the rest of our story, do we? Some of us may be heading down that same path. Don't wait on a donkey to talk to you. Don't wait on a donkey. (laughs) Today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. We have an opportunity to experience a miraculous save. Romans 5, verse 8. You've heard me say it time and again, and you'll hear hear it again, that God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you. He died for me. And that is our miraculous save. Don't wait on a donkey. Today is the day. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, tells us that God made Jesus. The Father made the Son who knew no sin. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, who knew no sin. Jesus was made to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God through jesus jesus our magnificent savior jesus our miraculous save the miracle of salvation freely offered we said wednesday night (laughs) that it's a investment that is risk-free turning to jesus trusting jesus and in cases for those of us who have trusted jesus at one time to get back on the path, to be obedient to the things of God. Mm. We have the opportunity to experience a miraculous save.